1: All other belief systems depend on some activity on the part of the individual to acquire whatever that belief system would describe as their concept or equivalency of heaven. Only in Christianity is salvation provided as a gift by God. The Cross of Hope Welcome to
0: today's broadcast of Study Verse by Verse. Pastor Leighton Sheely this week celebrating Easter, Resurrection Sunday. Man, what an amazing week we get every year to remember once again just who we are in Christ, what he has done to make it so, and the glory that awaits us. What a loving elder brother we serve. Join us, won't you, for today's broadcast of Study Verse by Verse as Pastor Layton once again returns us to our look at Easter. Today, the Cross of Hope. Here's Pastor Layton.
1: Resurrection Sunday is associated with words such as salvation, eternal life, and heaven. It's one of the highlights in a Christian's annual calendar, and it has been over the many centuries because of its significance and its meaning. Resurrection Sunday is a time for celebration because he who said he would rise again on the third day arose just as he said he would. And he who could keep so great a promise can be trusted with everything, including our lives and our eternal destinies. His resurrection validated that he indeed was who he claimed to be, and therefore he accomplished what he came to accomplish. It also gives us assurance That if death was not able to keep him in the grave, it will not be able to keep us either. And that's why Christians celebrate the resurrection and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, that word gospel means good news. And because some people don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, they may not perceive it as good news. But the good news of Jesus Christ is that because of what he has accomplished, we don't have to wonder if we've been saved or where we're going to spend eternity. Now, some people think that salvation is achieved or acquired through good works, or a church membership, or being baptized, and yet the Bible teaches clearly that none of these paths acquire salvation. The way that salvation is clearly illustrated for us in the story of the murdering thief hanging on the cross next to Jesus, found in Luke chapter 23. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, saying, So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, Today you will be with me in paradise. Now recorded for us here in Scripture is Jesus making the promise of salvation to someone who did not meet expectations for good works or baptism or church membership. The promise uh, of salvation did not depend on good works because that thief hanging on that cross next to Jesus was nailed to a cross. His arms and legs could not even provide someone a cup of water in Jesus' name. It did not depend upon church membership, because a Christian church didn't even exist at that time. It didn't exist until the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And the promise of salvation did not depend upon that thief being baptized, because the thief did not come down from that cross to be baptized that day. Now, although baptism is not necessary for salvation, it is an opportunity for obedience and to proclaim faith in Jesus Christ. Now, there are churches that teach that in order for you to be saved, you have to be a member of their church, or you have to be baptized in their church, or you have to work for their church. Beware, because that's not what the Bible teaches. So then, what does the Bible teach us about the way to receive the promise of salvation? Well, the passage answers that question in the thief's answer that gives us these clues. He said, fear God. Acknowledge your sin, and ask by faith. To this Jesus promised, today you will be with me in paradise. The Bible clearly teaches that because of God's grace, heaven is a free gift. It is not earned or deserved. Ephesians chapter 2 says God saved you by His grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for even this. It is a gift from God. And because of that, some might ask the question, is there any connection between salvation and good works? And yes, the Bible does connect them. As the passage continues, it says, salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things that He planned for us long ago. So what the Bible teaches is that good works do not produce salvation, but salvation should always produce good works. Salvation is by God's grace through faith. It is a gift of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Christianity is unique among all of the belief systems of the world. All other belief systems depend on some activity on the part of the individual to acquire whatever that belief system would describe as their concept or equivalency of heaven. Only in Christianity is salvation provided as a gift by God. We can understand why heaven must be a free gift when we see what the Bible has to say about sin and mankind. Uh, We have a a way of illustrating this. Uh, On the screen there is a, a line, we'll call it the line of goodness, sinful to the left, perfect on the right. So where on that line would you put someone like Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, Adolf Hitler, Where would you put yourself on that line? Most of mankind has a tendency to compare ourselves with others and believe that God somehow or other grades on a curve. When we compare ourselves with someone like Adolf Hitler, we conclude that we're not such a bad person after all. On the other hand, if we compare ourselves with Billy Graham or Mother Teresa, we might not be so confident in our goodness. Now, where on that line would you put the passing grade is required to make it into heaven. Well, the reality is that you don't need to guess where that mark is because Jesus has given us the answer. Jesus said, Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. So that mark would be at the very, 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 very right edge of that line if it was on the line at all. And if you've been honest about grading yourself, you can see that you fall short. I fall short. Everybody falls short. Even Billy Graham and Mother Teresa fall short of perfection. The Bible tells us only Jesus does not fall short. Romans 3.10 says, There is none righteous, no, not one, in the same chapter, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, what is sin? Sin. Wayne Grudem, in his excellent work on systematic theology, writes, Sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. Sin, therefore, is not limited to action alone, but it includes our thoughts. For instance, we often think that the Ten Commandments apply only to actions. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill. But the Tenth Commandment says, You shall not covet Now, someone can be convicted of stealing or killing based on evidence, but it's hard to convict someone of coveting unless they confess it. And that is because coveting is a matter of the heart and mind rather than action. The Bible teaches that if someone only thinks about doing something sinful, they are guilty of sinning. Bible teaches us that God is loving and merciful and therefore does not want to punish us, but God is also just and therefore must punish sin. Now, these descriptions may at first appear to be in conflict, but the Scriptures tell us very clearly that God is both. Now, in this last century, pulpits, in particular across America, have given primary attention to the love of God so much as to even ignore the holiness and justice of God. People want to hear about God's love. They don't want to hear about God's judgment. This is relatively new in human history. John MacArthur wrote, people in past generations often went to the opposite extreme. Little more than a hundred years ago, nearly all preaching portrayed God only as a fierce judge whose fury burned against sinners. Now, if we ignore either aspect of the character of God, we do not represent Him accurately. God represents Himself accurately, as recorded in Exodus chapter 34. He says, I am the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I will lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren, and the entire family is affected. Now, this passage does not begin by describing one God and then halfway go through, halfway through it, describe another. There's only one God, and He is describing Himself, and He's describing both aspects of His character. The New Testament also describes God as being both loving and merciful as well as just. Romans 11.22 says, Notice how God is both kind and severe. You see... The facet of God you experience is based upon what side of grace, His grace, you choose to stand. Let me see if I can illustrate this. Um, I have a great relationship with my children. They are now grown and young adults. We enjoy each other's company. And growing up, Daddy was a lot of fun to be around most of the time. And not so much fun to be around when one of the children behaved in such a manner that required dad to turn into the disciplinarian. Same dad, same person, and yet how I was perceived depended on what side of grace and justice my children were standing on. And that's why we can say without contradicting ourselves that God is loving and merciful and therefore does not want to punish us, and yet God is also just and therefore must punish sin. Now, there are some who mistakenly believe that God does not love sinners and cannot possibly love them because of their sin, and yet that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches in John 3 16, for God so loved the world. God so loved the world. It doesn't say God so loved Christians, it doesn't say God so loved good people. It says God so loved the world. That means everybody, that means you. Now that is an amazing
0: truth to close out a broadcast with. This has been Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely from Church of the Highlands here in San Bruno. Our time together this week focusing in on the Easter, the Resurrection Sunday that we celebrate every year. The Cross of Hope is the title of today's message. If you'd like to know more, Visit our website, highlands.us. That's highlands.us. You'll find information about the church, Church of the Highlands, here in San Bruno, and this radio program, Study Verse by Verse. Come back and join us tomorrow, won't you, as we continue our study of Easter here on Study Verse by Verse.